Good morning. All right. Let's see here. All right, let's see how that goes. All right, good morning. Welcome to Emmanuel Orthodox Presbyterian Church. My name is Norm Long, one of the ruling elders. And uh, um, we rejoice that we, God has gathered us together to worship him. In your, in your bulletin, your, there we have um, some family news items that I uh, would like to draw your attention to. Uh, next week, June 12th, um, if you come, come uh, Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, uh, next Lord's Day, you'll be, uh, you won't see us here. The church's um, service next week will be starting at 3.30 p.m. And our worship, um, actual worship will begin at 5 so, and also please note that the, um, the Lord's Supper will be served uh, at, at next week as well. So you want to prepare your hearts um, for that. The summer schedule, very important, our, our traditional uh, summer worship uh, will uh, begin on the 19th with uh, the morning worship at 10.30 and the evening service continuing at 6. So you want to uh, make a note of that. Uh, the, session, the session will be meeting um, this Wednesday on June 8th. Appreciate, covet your prayers for that. Um, church picnic, you want to make a note of that. It's July 30th. And then also we, we still are in need of a few uh, pianists. So if you would are interested in maybe leading us in worship, uh, you can please, uh, please see Mike Tavern. With that in mind, let us, um, let us enter into a moment of silent meditation, uh, preparing our hearts to worship our God and our King, a moment of silent meditation. Congregation, this morning's call to worship comes to us from Psalm 135, from verses 1 to 3, which reads, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good, sing to his name, for it is pleasant. And congregation, let us now Collectively stand together and sing to this wondrous Lord our God with hymn number 100, which is Holy, Holy, Holy.
We now come to a time where we pray our invocation of prayer to the Lord our God to call upon Him as we approach Him for worship. Let us now bow our head for the invocation of prayer. To you, O Lord, we lift up our soul. O God, our Creator, in you we trust. To you we offer our praise and prayer, our worship and thanksgiving, even our very life. Make us to know your way, O Lord. Teach us your path. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Be with us now through your Holy Spirit. Help us to lift up our eyes and the eyes of our hearts to focus upon you and help us to worship you with our whole being. Grant us all these things in the name of our loving and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. For the revelation of God's will this morning, we will be reading from the Ten Commandments from the Law of the Lord. And I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 20, the version given to us in Exodus 20. And as I read, O congregation, please do remember that this is the law of the Lord, his commandments, given not to crush his people, but as grace to reveal himself upon his people. Exodus 20, beginning from verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Congregation, in this Ten Commandments, the Lord reveals himself. He reveals his righteousness. 
At the same time, as we read it, we realize how far we have fallen, not just last, since last week, since last Sunday, but even this very day. For we fall short of it, and this law also reminds us that we need someone to come and deliver us. But it is also given, we know that it's also given for the purpose of restraining us from our sins, for it reveals to us what we are, what we ought and what we ought not do. And even now, even though we no longer obey it as a mean of justification for Christ, the one who is to come, has come and fulfilled it perfectly, but through it, as we are in Christ, we still, we still obey it as a rule of life. And having known that we fall short of it, we now come to a time where we get to collectively pray the prayer of confession as a church and lift it up to the Lord our God, for the Lord who has granted us this gracious law is also so gracious that he promised that if anyone come before him with a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. So now, saints, together let us come our hearts, quiet our hearts, and come before the Lord with a broken heart to ask prayers for his forgiveness. So, congregation, let us now bow our head for the prayer of confession. O God in heaven, we come to you to confess the sins in our life. We confess that we are but dust with minds prone to wander, hearts that are full of idols and lips that are unclean. Lord, we confess that the things we ought to put to death, things belonging to our own souls, often manifest out of us through our, our daily walk. And Lord, we acknowledge our wrongs and confess our sins before you, including sins that we are unaware of. Lord, we have nowhere to run but to you, for no one is able to save us and deliver us but you alone. You, O Lord, is mindful of us. You know our frame. You know that we are but dust and are weak. Therefore, help us to run to you for forgiveness and forgive us our transgressions, which are ever before us. Help us also to put on our new selves and conform us to the image of our righteous Savior, your only begotten Son. Help us to forgive one another as you have forgiven us. Watch over us, guide us, and guard us through your Holy Spirit who is within us, abiding in us, that we may be able to come before your throne of grace with confidence and clear conscience. And we pray all these things in the name of our holy mediator in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Congregation, having prayed together, we also receive the assurance of pardon. And the assurance of pardon is given to us through the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ upon the pen of Apostle John, Christ who is the mediator of us in heaven right now. His Spirit also grant us this assurance of pardon. 
which comes from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some, not just partial, not just in the past, but all unrighteousness which we have committed. And saints, having received, having prayed to God for confession and received his assurance of pardon that came from his word, let us now together once again sing to the Lord our God, to Christ Jesus who allows us to have this assurance of pardon with hymn number 647, which is how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. 647. Let us enter in together uh, as one voice um, the prayer of the church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
because of your redeeming work of your Son. You not only graciously hear our prayers, you welcome them. You have told us not to be anxious about anything. Instead, with thanksgiving, bring our requests before you, remembering your promise that your peace, which is beyond all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord God, we bring before you the persecuted church in East Africa and the Ethiopian Reformed Presbyterian Church. O oh Lord, grant them a strong faith, a persevering faith, ones that, though they are suffering under persecution now, that it will be a, it will, time will be short, and very, very soon, they, along with all your saints, will worship you forever and ever, praising your glorious name before your throne of grace, along with the 24 elders and the four living creatures and all voices of heaven. Lord, pray that you would set their minds as well as ours on that day that is soon to come. Lord, we pray also for um, uh, Paul and Sarah Morley in West Plains, Missouri. Lord, we pray for them as they have asked for prayer, uh, for wisdom, as they seek to purchase a, a church building. Will you guide and direct them, Lord? Grant them wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Help them to seek it, Lord, to seek wisdom in this matter and all matters. Lord, we pray, Lord, within our own presbytery for uh, Pastor Curtis Molentero in Grace OPC in Wasilla, Alaska. We pray for our brother's ministry that this congregation, this flock that he shepherds, would continue to learn about Christ. For indeed, knowing you, Lord, is eternal life. And do pray, Lord, that they would be continually grounded in the scriptures, Lord, and that your church there in Alaska would be strengthened and encouraged. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to pray for others in our, in our church. Lord, we, we want to bring before you Michael and Johanna Hunter, Lord. We ask for Michael, Lord, that you would bless his labors at, at, at work, Lord, and um, that you would enable him, Lord, to continually put you before him, Lord, uh, himself before you. Lord, that you would bless his labors and that you would be glorified in his life and in Johanna's life as well, Lord. Do pray for Joanna, Lord, and for wisdom for her, as uh, she has a couple of dear friends that are having some struggles. Uh, Lord, we just pray for wisdom for her, Lord, the right words to speak and how to support them in their time of trouble. Oh, Lord, be glorified in her labors and her, her care for her friends. Lord, we bring before you um, Scott and Lynn, and we thank you, Lord, for for Scott and Lynn, Lord, we do ask you, Lord, for, for wisdom for them, and to the wisdom to effectively share and witness the gospel of Christ. Lord, may you grant that to them, and Lord, may their labor in sharing the gospel with, amongst their family and friends bear much fruit. And we pray also and join, them to get, join with them, Lord, in praying for a restful summer. And we bring before you Zach, uh, Hunter, Lord, we thank you for him, 
And we pray for him as, um, as he has finals this week. Lord, grant him wisdom and the, just the ability to recall all the information that he has been, that's been put upon him and put into his mind, Lord. Also, Lord, would pray for him. We pray that um, you would guide him uh, as he searches for his first job outside of college, Lord. We, we ask that, um, that you would direct his footsteps, Lord, to the place where you would have him to be. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and let us pray together the prayer of our Lord. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn with me uh, to hymn number 235, All Glory and Honor. Let, glory, laud, and honor. Excuse me. Let us stand together as we sing hymn number 235. Please be seated.
The scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. This is the account of Christ's triumphal entry in the Gospel of Luke. So please open up your Bible with me to Luke um, 19. And as I read our congregation, please do remember that this is the very, very word of God. Luke 19, beginning from verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at a mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a coat tied on which no one has ever yet said. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owner said to them, why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their clothes on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in a crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let us bow our head and pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that this morning we are able to be gathered together before your presence to meditate upon this word, infallible word of yours. We pray that as we consider it together, you will grant us and illuminate this text to us through your spirit who abides in us, this spirit who inspired this text to be inerrantly written down. We pray that the spirit would reveal to us how our life is presented in this very passage. And may your spirit also grant this weak and broken vessel to clearly expound your word. We give you thanks for hearing our prayers, and we pray all these in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, beloved congregation, I have a quick question to ask you. My question is that have you ever seen any royalties or head of states? Have you ever met or seen any royalties or head of states? If so, what was your impression of them? And what was your, how was your experience? Well, speaking from personal experience, I know growing up I have seen, when I was overseas, I've seen the president of Taiwan. He was 
He was at some local temple helping out with the political campaign of some local politicians. And around him, you could see 12 men who were way taller than the average height of Taiwanese males. And you could see that underneath their loose dress shirt, there's, there seemed to be some bulge around their waist. So I saw the president of Taiwan. He was surrounded by the Taiwanese Secret Service. And I could see him, but I could not get anywhere close to him because there were huge men in the way, not to the size of Nephilims, but they were tall. And besides the president of Taiwan, I've also seen the king of Thailand. Back then, he was just the crown prince. But everyone knows that's the crown prince because of the mortarcade that he was traveling in. It would be cars of same color, ivory, the color of the royal house of Thailand. And then it would be all, well, mostly the same model of car, Mercedes S-Class. And you know, anyone who knows cars knows that, well, that man has style and deep pocket. But within those bunch of 10 plus Mercedes, there would be one that is different. It would be an ivory Rolls Royce, and you know, that's where the crown prince is. And, and that's how you identi identify the Mordecai. Well, that's the crown prince's Mordecai. So we could see him, but he would be blasting down the local roads at 100 plus miles per hour. Well, actually, it's 160 kilometers per hour, but I converted it to metric for the convenience of, of my American audiences. And you could see him, but there's, he's just far away. But I have never, never in my life seen the President of the United States. Speaking of which, I wonder if any of you were able to catch a glimpse of President Biden when he was here back in April, was it? I heard that he was in Green, Green River Community College, so I'm wondering if anyone down here were able to catch a glimpse of him. I know I didn't, but from what I read, from the local news, I read that he shut down major highways and caused huge traffic jams. And besides highways, he also shut down SeaTac Airport around the time that Air Force One operates. So no airplane could land or take off around the operating hour of Air Force One. That makes him, that makes the President of the United States one of the most unapproachable person in the world because it seems like unless he wants to see you, there's no way that you could ever even see him. Now, why do I bring up all these royalties and presidents? Well, I'm giving, raising these examples because the passage that is in front of us this morning is a king who is unlike any earthly king, for he is a king who is approachable and even humble, although he is full of authority. And from our reading this morning, you know this king is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this morning, we are going to look at Christ and his authority as king from three different angles. First, from the revelation of Christ's authority as a king. Secondly, 
from the reactions to Christ's authority as king. And lastly, how Christ's kingship help us. So first, the revelation. Secondly, the reaction. And thirdly, how does it help us knowing that Christ is king? With that said, we begin with the first point. That is Christ's authority as a king. And we first see that in verses 29 to 31, the actions of Christ Jesus, that first from the action, it reveals his kingship. And in the action of Jesus, we see in between verse 29 to 31, Christ sends his disciples to bring back a coat. Now a coat is a name of a young, uh, is a name given to for young horse or young donkey. And in, the, in our context, in our passage, we know that it was a young donkey or a donkey coat. And we see that between verse 29 to 31, Christ sent out his disciples with clear command and instruction. In fact, Christ even prophesied where and how they are to acquire it. For he said, go into the village in front of you, where upon entering you will find a coat tied, on which no one has ever said, that's the where, untie it and bring it, to, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord has need of it. He also told them how. So when he prophesied how and where they are to acquire it, he actually strengthened and emboldened his disciples to carry out this command for the Lord himself knows where to find it and how to do it. They just have to listen and obey. And in response to the command and instruction, the prophecy of Jesus, how did the disciples act? How did they respond? We see that the disciples responded with immediate obedience. For they proceed and follow the command of Jesus exactly. We see in verse 32, it says, those who were sent went away. They did just as they were told. And after going away, they went on to prepare for Jesus's entry into Jerusalem by acquiring that donkey coat in the exact manner that Jesus has prophesied. They went on ahead. They, it says from 32 and onward, that as they were untying the coat, the owner asked them, why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Now we need to make clear that what the disciples did here in taking that donkey coat is not some kind of grand theft donkey they did not steal the donkey, as some, some people would say, that Jesus committed some crime in grabbing poor people's donkey. No, we see that from the very response of, from the, very response of the owners after they heard that the Lord has need of it, in verse 34, the disciples were able to just take the donkey with them. And if you take a look at 
Matthew and Mark's account of this same event, it would make it even more clear that the, the owners let them go. They, it would be clearly described in the accounts in Matthew and Mark. So why would the owners gave approval just by hearing the phrase, the Lord has need of it. Well, this is because they know, they knew who the Lord is. For at this time, the fame of Jesus was already spread throughout all Judea, which is what Luke 7, verse 17 said. The fame of Jesus was spread throughout all Judea because of Christ's work, miraculous work, and his teaching. And Jerusalem itself is within that region of Judea. And after the disciples acquired that donkey, they also placed their cloaks on the coat as a makeshift saddle in verse 35. And afterward, after acquiring the donkey, preparing it, they also installed their Lord, Jesus, on his, on his steed, by mounting Jesus on the coat, which is what the end of 35 says, they set Jesus on. And after acquiring and installing Jesus on his donkey coat, they also led the procession of Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem, because 36 says, as Jesus rode along the donkey, the disciples continued to serve their Lord by laying down their clothes on the road. Now, how do these actions, both by the disciples and by Christ himself, reveal Christ's kingship? Well, first we see the actions of the disciples. The disciples' immediate obedience reveal the fact that the one who sent them has authority. And what kind of authority is highlighted in this passage? Is it not a kingly authority where he commands and his subject obeys immediately. There's no hesitation at all. That's some high authority. And, in, and here, this is some kingly authority. And even their actions, the preparation of an animal, the mounting of their Lord on it, and laying down their cloaks before their master, are all the actions that servants of a king would do for a king. So the actions of the disciples reveal that Christ has kingly authority. And what about the action of Christ himself? As for Christ, his action revealed that he is the king whose coming was prophesied by the Old Testament scriptures. For Christ riding on a donkey was a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10 reads the following. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shall allow, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. 
He will rule from sea to sea and from river to the end of the earth. This was the prophecy of Zechariah, which Jesus fulfilled. For that prophecy spoke of a majestic king whose rule extends to the end of the earth, but who came mounted on a donkey. And this mounted on a donkey phrase, which the disciples did to Jesus in verse 35, when, he, when they said Jesus on it, it also reveals to us another prophecy concerning a king, which Jesus fulfilled through his action. And that one was the prophecy concerning a son of David who will sit on his throne forever and ever. For just like Solomon, the immediate um, successor to, to King David and one of David's son, Solomon, he was mounted on an animal, on a mule, by others, by prophet and priest, when he was installed as a king. And here in the example of Christ, in, in our passage, we see Christ, the son of David, according to prophecy, who will sit on his throne forever and ever. Christ was also mounted on an animal, on a donkey, by others, and in this case, by his disciples. And Christ's fulfillment of this prophecy would be openly revealed in both Mark and Matthew's account of this event. For in those other accounts, it would record people shouted out, Hosanna to the son of David. But even here, we see that there is the indication of Christ fulfilling such prophecy as well. It's more subtle in the Gospel of Luke, but it is here within this very phrase, mounted on a donkey. And besides revealing to us that Christ is the king prophesied in the Old Testament prophecies by the Old Testament prophets. Our passage also revealed to us the nature of Christ's kingship, or, to put it another way, what kind of king he is. We see that our passage and its corresponding reference to the Old Testament revealed to us that this king This triumphant king is one of peace. He is a king of peace. For the prophecy he fulfills says that this king who is mounted on a donkey will speak peace to the nations, Zechariah 9.10. And even the fact that he was mounted on a donkey reveals that he's a king of peace. For unlike the kings of ancient time who were either carried around by many servants or would ride around, um, be mounted on a horse, which, is, which was an animal for warfare, Christ came mounted on a donkey. And as you know, and, you, and those of you who are familiar with farms and farm work, you know donkeys are simply service animals. They are used for labor in peacetime instead of destruction in times of war. And you can also make a note that Solomon was mounted on a mule. A mixed mule is a mix between 
horse that's meant for war, and donkey that is a service animal for time of peace. Solomon was a hot, he was essentially riding around in a hybrid. He was, his mule, well, serves as war and for peace. And you see in Solomon's kingship, he also expanded the territory, but also brought prosperity. But here, for Christ, his animal was one for peace and neighbor. And besides being a king of peace, Christ was also a humble and afflicted king. For the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 says that he will be a humble king. And the word that is translated as humble in that very text is actually most often time translated as afflicted, afflicted in the Old Testament scripture. And truly the humility of this humble king is most clearly displayed in his affliction. For throughout his earthly ministry, we know that he suffered numerous rejections and was even despised by those who were closest to him. As such, in his commanding of the disciples and in his fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies concerning the king who is to come, he reveals that while he is full of authority as a king, he is a king who declares peace and a king who has been afflicted. Having said that, having seen how he's revealed as king in his action, and we are, we are going to continue on to take a look at the responses to his, his authority as a king from verses 37 to 40, which is our second point, the response to Christ's kingly authority. And we begin first with the reaction of the disciples. The disciples' action revealed that they responded with, we first see that they responded with obedience through their immediate submission to Christ's command. They obeyed. They did it just as they were told, so they were obedient. And we also see from their actions, they responded with reverence as they spread their cloaks on the ground. They laid their cloaks on the ground, serving as a red carpet. Now you have to understand that at that time, those times were not like modern time, where nowadays, especially for us living in the Pacific Northwest, we have expensive sports jackets in our backpack that's light and we can carry them around everywhere with us and that, and that we can, hey, just put them on and take them off whenever we want. But back in the day, they walk around with their clothes. They don't have, they don't have lightweight Gore-Tex materials to be carried around. It's their only cloak. And for them to put it on the ground and, and knowing that afterward they will have to wear it dirty, that shows how much they revere this person. It shows their reverence. And besides obedience and reverence, we also see that once they drew near to the city of Jerusalem, their response was one of rejoicing and praising. For verse 37 says, they rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And for what? Verse 37 continue to reveal to us, they praise God for Christ's work, 
for all the mighty works of God that Christ has performed, which they had seen. Verse 37. So they praised God and rejoiced for Christ's work. And they also praised God for the very, very person of Christ. For verse 38 revealed to us, they also continue on to praise with the following. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They are praising Christ's person. They praise God the Father for Christ Jesus, who is the king who comes in the name of the Father. Not, for not only is Christ called the Lord by his disciples, he also came in the name of the Lord God Almighty, God the Father as well. And they also praise God for Christ is the King of Peace, who brings peace of God from heaven on down to the world, just as the prophets have prophesied, Zechariah, and also just as angels declared during his birth. For recall that famous Christmas verse, which says, which the angels declare in Luke 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among whom, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So Christ was the one who brought peace from heaven unto earth. And for this, the disciples praise God as well. And for these, his person and his work, they praise God in the highest. And in, and in opposition, in contrast to the disciples, there were also the reactions of the Pharisees in verse 39. For in verse 39, we see that after witnessing Christ's royal procession on a donkey and hearing the disciples' acclamation of Christ as the king, in verse 38, where with a loud voice they praised Christ as king, the response of the Pharisees was one of what? It was one of rejection and denial. For verse 39 revealed to us that they rejected the kingship of Christ and his authority as king when they addressed Jesus as a teacher, as a rabbi, and commanded him to rebuke his disciples. This is a, a dramatic and stark contrast to the acclamation that the disciples gave to Jesus. For, the, for with, in one hand, the disciples says, this is king. And on the other hand, the Pharisees call him rabbi. Now, why would they do that? Why were their responses so different from the disciples? For from the very scripture itself, from all the gospel, gospel account, we know that the Pharisees, they too, they have seen the mighty works of Jesus. They were there. But why was their response so different? They were there. They saw the work of Christ. They were there. They heard the teaching of Jesus. And some of the Pharisees even invited Jesus to his house 
to have dinner with him? The answer is that they lack, they lack one very important thing. They lack faith. And because they lack faith, therefore, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand, therefore, although they knew the scripture better than anyone else, remember the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They were so well-versed in the scripture, better than the regular folks. That because they lack faith, when they witness Christ's fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy concerning concerning a humble king in Zechariah 9, a verse which they would have known very well when they saw it and when they heard it, because they lack faith, they say, no, now, this is simply a rabbi, a teacher. And besides lacking faith, the Pharisees also rejected Jesus' kingship due to the pressures from the Roman world that they, are, they were living under. For they knew that everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. They knew that. This is what they would frame Jesus for in John 19, verse 12, before the court of Pontius Pilate. And they know this. They knew this. As such, when the disciples of Jesus started praising him as a king, the Pharisees wanted to silence them so that the Romans wouldn't come and brutally oppress them, just as like what the Romans did to all the uprisings before. So the second reason why they rejected the authority of Jesus was because the pressures of the world around them in their case, the Roman world. And having said that, having seen how this passage revealed the kingship of Christ, and having seen how different people responded to Christ's kingship, we ask ourselves, so how does it, what does it have to do with us? Which is the modern people's question. What does this have to do with me, knowing Christ is king? Well, first, it helps us to evaluate whether we are faithful disciples of Jesus or not. Through the, response of, through the responses to his kingship, we understand how a true disciple of Jesus is to respond to him. A genuine disciple of Christ will respond to Jesus with obedience to his command as a subject would respond to a king. A disciple of Christ would also show him the reverence that he deserves and praise him and rejoice in him for his work and for his person. And in light of this, how have you been responding to his kingship? Do you fit the description of a disciple? Or... Are the pressures of this world causing you to behave like the Pharisees who wanted to be quiet and silent about Christ's kingship and even rejected his kingly authority over you in your places of employment or perhaps your daily life? That there are times you would say, Lord, 
you are Lord in all things, but just let me take control of this very part of my life. Let, let me not be king, but let me be your general in this part, part, in this part of my life. Let me have control over here. I'll take care of it. Saints, if your response is the latter, know that even then, the kingship of Christ is able to help you. For Christ is able to help you to overcome the pressures of this world, for he has overcome this world. And he has authority over all things. Yes, he has authority over all the challenges you are facing, and he will help you. For he is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble, Psalm 46.1. You just have to submit to him and ask him, ask, his, ask for his help in prayer. And he listens and he hears the prayers of those with broken and contrite heart. He hears the prayers of his people. And not just in evaluating whether we are true disciples or not, but Christ's kingship also help us to be faithful disciples as well. For to be faithful disciples, we have to imitate him. The scripture commends us that we have to imitate Christ. But how are we to do so? You might say, how are we to do so in this context of kingship since we are not kings ourselves and we are perhaps, we don't have any royal blood or lineage in our family line as well. Perhaps I would say that for most of us, the closest, the closest time or closest time we have ever been to become a king is the time when we receive that free paper crown from Burger King. That where we get to just put it on and, and be a king for a few seconds. But even in light of this, even though we have no royal authority in ourselves, Christ, we have to recognize that Christ still places us in various positions of authority, whether as managers, as bosses, as elders, as husbands, as mothers, or even as older siblings. And as faithful disciples, when we are in these positions of authority, we do not lead through raw authority, which is, you have to listen to me because of my position, because my authority, obey my authority for my position. That's trying to lead through raw authority, and we cannot do that. Rather, we are to lead through service, sacrifice, and care as, as exemplified by Christ, our King. For unlike the earthly kings who demand tribute, demands taxation and service, Christ, our King, serves us. As such, when we imitate Christ, we imitate his humility and sacrifice for those who are subject to him. For we know soon after he entered into Jerusalem, after his triumphal entry, he would show forth the utmost act of humility by bearing the afflictions for his people, 
Soon he would humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. And he did this in service to us, to atone for us our sin, so that we, the people of God, who are led by him, may have peace with God and may be able to enter into God's heavenly kingdom of peace. And even now, even at this very moment, in heaven, Christ is interceding for us and ensuring that God the Father will always be at peace with us. And in light of Christ's mighty work, which we have heard and beheld with our eyes of faith, throughout our life, and even this very morning, let us together and also praise God with this very verse. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks for your word which reminds us that Christ is king over us, over our life, over this world. Help us to recognize and see our life as a subject to Christ our king and truly help us to live out our identity as a subject of Christ, as a citizen of heaven. Help us to do all these things through your Holy Spirit who is given to us by Christ our King. Help us to do so in his name, in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Congregation, in response to the word which we just consider, let us now together once again sing praises to this King of ours in heaven with hymn number 389, which is, This is the, door, the day that the Lord has made, 389, and let us stand together as we sing.
Let us bow our hand and pray for the tithing and offering. Lord, we pray that we give you thanks for blessing us with abundance that we can respond and give a portion back to the working of your church. We pray that you would help the session and the deacons use this funds wisely so that the gospel will continue to go out throughout all the corners of Kent and from it to all the corners of this world. We give you thanks and we pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Let us now bow our head for the closing prayer. Lord, as we depart from here, we pray that you would bless us with the blessings that you have given to your people. We pray, pray that you would bless us and keep us. We pray that you would make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. We pray that you would lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace. We pray all these things in the name of our risen and exalted King. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.